0: Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. That is fantastic. It is better. Better. Why are we calling our study of the book of Hebrews better? Is it because it was better than the last series we preached? (laughs) Maybe Sean says yes. (laughs) No, no. it's because Jesus is better than all of the tenets of Judaism. Remember, let's do a little bit of a a review here, right? The the um, the purpose for this book being written was to disconnect Christian Jews from the tenets of Judaism and to connect them to Christ by expressing the superiority of Jesus and of the new covenant. How how many of you know Jesus is better than the old high priests of the Hebrew system? Jesus is better than the Passover lamb because he is heaven's Passover lamb. Right? You remember what I said last Sunday? That when Jesus was dying on the cross, God the Father was having Passover. God the Father was having the real Passover in heaven, right? Everything that Moses instituted while it was good and while it was important for the time was just a type and a picture to lead us to Christ. So Jesus is better. That's the point of this whole book. That's why we're calling this series Better. Amen? Now, let's do a little bit of quick review. We said, uh, we, we talked a little bit about how important context is. You remember that the greater the context that you have about something the greater the understanding that you have about that subject right the more you know about who a book was written to when it was written and what was going on in the world while it was written the more you'll understand why it was written and what it says amen so what's the context of the book of Hebrews this is just a quick review I'm gonna try to pack this into like three minutes okay Otherwise, I just get excited and re-preach what I preached last week, and then we don't get anywhere. <clears throat> well, we get blessed, but we don't get anywhere. So let, let, let's look at the context here. Who was this written to? This was written to Jews in and around Jerusalem in the year 63, 64 AD, late 63 or early 64 AD. You'll remember that that was prior, that was about six years prior to the destruction of the Hebrew temple in Jerusalem. You'll remember that the Roman Empire was making its ascent. They weren't, the Roman Empire wasn't quite as dominant as it would be, but it was getting there during Jesus' day. And so the Romans came in in 70 AD and flattened the temple. They destroyed the temple because they feared the Jews' uprising and, and trying to rebel against their control. And so we said that God, one of the reasons God wrote the, had the book of Hebrews written during the time that it was written was to help these Jewish Christians who just a few years away would have their whole Judaism basically destroyed right in front of their, their eyes. The temple and all the relics in the temple were, this was what their entire worldview was shaped by, and it was getting ready to, be dis, to, 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 to disappear, so, God, in his wisdom, writes this book, inspires a human being to write this book and speak about the supremacy of Jesus to help disconnect these Hebrew Jews or these uh, Christian Jews from all these uh, Judaic relics and things like that. So when was it written? Uh, 63, 64 AD. It was written to disconnect the Christian Jews from the tenets of Judaism and, again, connect them to Christ by expressing the superiority of Jesus and of the new covenant. Now, you remember that these Jews were heavily persecuted. Do you remember that? They were heavily persecuted both from within and from outside of the Hebrew faith. Could you imagine... Could you imagine being a Jew in the first century A.D. having just given your life to Christ and your brother doesn't? And the rest of your family doesn't? What must that have been like? What kind of persecution would have come from that scenario? Let's imagine that, you, that you, uh, you're in the family business. And everything's going along hunky-dory, as they say. Everybody's happy. And all of a sudden, you give your life to Christ. Somebody preaches. You hear the Apostle Paul preach a great sermon. Or you hear Peter uh, on the street corner raising somebody from the dead. And you go, whoa. And you give your life to Christ. And the rest of your family does not. And they proceed to shun you and cut you out of the family business. And say, how dare you give up on the tenets of Judaism? This is our life. You become a total heathen as far as they're concerned. They were receiving tremendous persecution from, their, from within the Jewish community and from the Romans. Nobody wanted these Jews to be saved, right? Nobody did. And so here they are. They had gotten to a place where they're starting to question, did we believe in the right Messiah? Is Jesus really who we thought that he was? So the writer of Hebrews now has to do this this lengthy work to help them understand that Jesus, not only is he the Messiah, but hey, he's better than Moses. He's better than the Passover. He's better than the Ark of the Covenant. He's better than the Temple. He's better than the Tabernacle. He is all of, he's the real version of all of these things. You remember we talked about the woman who, whose husband went off to war. And before he went off to war, she, she caused him to stand in the sun and have his shadow reflect up on the wall. And she traced his shadow so that while he was gone, every day she could stare at the shadow and be reminded of her husband. But when the husband came home, there's no use for the shadow anymore. Right? I don't need to come and talk to the shadow anymore because I got the real thing standing right here. You see? Jesus is the real thing. Amen. Jesus is the real thing. What's this book about? This is about God's big reveal. You remember, um, anybody seen those home remodel shows on HGTV? Chip and Joanna Gaines. What do they do when it's time to do the reveal? They, they put a big giant board, a big picture of what the old house looked like. And then, you know, one, two, three. Or you remember the guy, move that bus out of the way. Like, you remember that thing? And they just move it out of the way, and there's a big reveal. Don't you know that Jesus is God's big reveal? Don't you know that he's the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world? He's the reason God created everything. The reason God decided to create the universe is so that He had somebody to reveal Jesus to. Wow. That's the reason He did it all. That's what Hebrews says in the first verse. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to our fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he's appointed to be the heir of all things. We sang about it this morning. The name of Jesus is the name that's greater than every other name including Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu, El Elyon, Adonai. Jesus was given the most important name. He's God's big reveal. Amen. Now, that's the context. That's what we talked about all last week. A note on context before we go any farther. I was driving and I was thinking about this yesterday. We should never use context, as important as it is to understand who it was written to and the timing and all that stuff. We should never use context as an opportunity to sever ourselves from the scripture that we're studying. In other words, never look for a loophole that context provides. What do I mean by that? I'll give you a great example. I was talking to a guy one time. Nice man. Loves the Lord, but we have some very differing opinions about some stuff. We were still friends. We got along really well. But we were talking one day about Jeremiah 29 11. You ever heard that scripture before? My mother put that on a little card, and stuck it to the bathroom mirror. and My sister and I, when we were in high school, every time we brush our teeth, we are looking at Jeremiah 29, 11. And I memorized that scripture that way. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and to give you a future. So we're talking about this scripture one day, and this guy decides that he wants to let me in on a little secret. That that scripture wasn't written to me, so it doesn't apply to me the way I was using it. Isn't it annoying? super annoying right what is that what is that that's an example of trying to find a way out of a scripture by abusing its context who was the book of jeremiah written to it was written to jews in captivity in babylon were you a jew in captivity in babylon (laughs) in like 1200 bc i don't think so so it wasn't written to you was it so should you just take the whole book of Jeremiah and tear it out of your Bible and say it doesn't apply to me because it wasn't written to me? No, you see, context can't be abused that way. You can't, find, you can't cite context as a way to distance yourself from Scripture. If we do that, we're actually trying to get out of responsibility. We're looking for a loophole. Well, I don't think tithing's in the New Covenant because it was under the law. You dork, read your Bible, right? Come on. Be smart. My wife's going to get mad at me for calling people a dork. I tell you. I'm going to hear about it. It's okay. It's all right. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, we should never cite context as an out, as a loophole. I had a conversation recently with uh, someone talking about First 1 John 1, 1.9. They said, do you believe it was written to Christians or to non-Christians? And I respectfully said, that's not a very smart question. The whole Bible was written to everybody. Amen? The whole Bible was written to everybody. Now, there's context that causes application to apply in certain ways, but the whole thing applies to all of us all the time. Don't try to find a loophole out. Amen? It happens more often than we realize, and I find it troubling sometimes. So that's all I wanted to say about that context. Just a little rabbit trail. It was a juicy rabbit. I had to chase it. And now we're back on track. Let's talk about part two of our better series. We said that all throughout Hebrews, there are different things that Jesus is better than. And today I want to talk about how a son is better than a servant. A son is better than a servant. I'm going to give you the main point. I'm going to give you the take home right at the beginning. And then we'll talk about it. Here's the main point. God's desire is not only for servants but for sons. How many of you realize God doesn't need more servants? Think about it for a second. I'm not telling you you shouldn't serve. I'm not telling you that it's wrong to serve God. But there's something beyond servanthood that we need to learn about. That's called sonship. God doesn't need more servants. He's got a lot of angels. He doesn't need somebody to take out to make the make sure the fork and knife are perfectly aligned on the table, he doesn't need more servants. He's got a multitude multitudes of angels. We're going to see that in the first chapter here. The first thing that the writer of Hebrews dives into is dealing with angels and how Jesus is greater than angels because a son is greater than a servant, and angels are servants. Let's look at our main text for today. Which is Hebrews 2 verse 10. And then we'll work backward a little bit, and then we'll work forward a little bit, and we'll see how far we get. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. This is one of the best scriptures in the New Testament. It says, "For it was fitting for him, that's God, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory." Everybody say many sons. sons. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. It was fitting for him for whom all things are and by all things are in bringing many sons to glory. What is God's ultimate desire for the human race? To bring many sons to glory. It's not to stamp out and clone out a bunch of yes men. And a bunch of servants. Is it wrong to serve the Lord? No, of course not. Is it important for us to serve God? Yes, of course. Like one guy says, Don't don't hear what I'm not preaching. Right? I'm not preaching that it's wrong to be a servant. Listen, you need to serve God. Serve God all the days of your life. I pray that prayer. beyond servanthood that we need to learn about as the body of Christ. Yes, there is. And that's the issue of sonship. It was fitting for him for whom, are, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory by making the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. God's desire is not only for servants but for sons. Jesus' sonship is better than the angel's servanthood. Let's look at a couple of these verses from chapter 1, and they'll begin to make sense to us when we think of it in light of this reality of sonship. Look at chapter 1, verse 5, talking about how Jesus' sonship was better than the angel's servanthood. For to which of the angels, verse 5, to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I've begotten to you. Excuse me, today I've begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Did he ever say that to any angels? No, because angels have a very specific role in the kingdom of God. They're the servants of God, and they're actually, if you look at verse 14 of the same chapter, They're actually ministering spirits. Look at verse 14. It's important for you to know that this is what angels do. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Who will inherit salvation? Sons. You. Me. Now this this whole concept of sonship being superior to servanthood is a little vague to us. Because it doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot to us in our culture, right? I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up with any servants in my house, right? Right? I was the servant, okay? Okay, right? I didn't grow up with butlers. I was the butler, okay? You know, Dad, there are companies that will mow our grass for us. All we have to do is give them a little money, and they do this, and we don't have to. Amen. You know what my father would have said to something like that? Congratulations, son. Here's a gas can. You're in business, and you've got a new customer. Out of my face. No, we didn't grow up with servants. So we don't kind of understand. Sometimes it's a little hard to wrap our head around this concept. But in, but in this day, in the day that this was written in, servanthood was extremely prevalent. It was extremely prevalent. It was... The, the, these servants were the property of their owners. And we think of that in a very negative way because of the abuses of slavery that we've seen throughout the years, and it is a terrible thing. But one of the things that I found was that in Jesus' day, one of the reasons servanthood was so common was because people would take servants into their houses who couldn't take care of themselves. Oftentimes it was better for a servant to commit to a family and serve them. They would live a better life that way. Oftentimes this was done for orphans and for people who had no way of bettering their own lives. So servanthood was viewed completely differently than it is now in our day. And so <clears throat> these, were off, these were people that were often connected to the family, and they were, you know, they were orphans or they were people that couldn't help themselves. So in some cases, to be a servant was a good thing. In some cases, to be a hired servant was a good thing. And we have taken this idea of servanthood and serving God to such a degree that sometimes we miss out on what belongs to us as sons. We miss out on the reality that God's not, though, though he wants you to serve, he's not looking for another servant. He's not looking for another hand, another hired hand. He wants a family member. He wants a son. Amen? Now, who perfectly demonstrated this reality? Jesus, right? Because why? Because he's better. Because he's better than the angels. He, listen, the thing about an angel is that the, an angel can never be better or never anything greater than a servant. An angel can never be anything greater than a servant. Jesus, by his very nature, is a son, making him better. That's why he says, to which of the angels did he ever say? Actually, look at verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What's God after? Hebrews 2.10, sons. He wants to bring many sons unto glory. Do you know that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God? I say was intentionally because he's no longer the only begotten Son of God. Amen. He was the only begotten of the Father, but now the Bible says he's the first of many brethren. Because God's original intention was not that you would receive Jesus and become a lowly servant in his kingdom for the rest of your life. His design and his desire is that you would take on the mantle of your big brother Jesus and be a son just the same way that he was and the way that he is. Amen. Look at it again in verse 10 and then let's keep reading to verse 11. For it was fitting for him by whom are all things and by for whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, that's you and me, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, now look at verse 11. What a great revelation here. For, for both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's you, are all of one for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you know that God's not ashamed? Jesus is not ashamed of you as his little brother or his little sister. Glory to God. You're, his, you're in the family, man. If you know Jesus, you've been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. You know Jesus. You're in the family. You qualify for sonship. What is sonship? We're getting there. Don't get ahead of me. Don't rush me now. Don't rush me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Look, Let's look at one more thing here about servanthood. Flip over to to chapter 3. Because here we find out that Jesus was better than Moses. Jesus was better than Moses because a son is better than a servant. And Moses, although he was a phenomenal representative of God, was still a servant. Look at verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 6. And this is a very heady passage, so I invite you to just plow through it with me, okay? Verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, that's God, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Did you know that Jesus is worthy of more glory than the glory that was on Moses? He who built the house has much more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Moses was indeed faithful in all of his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterward. But Christ was faithful as what? As a son. Over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope, firm to the end. What is the contrast here? Moses was a servant. Jesus was a son. Moses did some amazing things as a servant. I've said this to you before. You go back and look at Moses. Moses was the most radical guys in the whole Bible. He's got some of the most, he probably, apart from Jesus himself, Moses has the most supernatural occurrences of any character in the Bible. Think about it. The Red Sea parts, water comes out of a rock, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. I mean, Moses' ministry was crowned with the supernatural. He did some amazing things as a servant, but he couldn't yet step over into sonship. Do you realize that you possess right now what Moses dreamed of? Do you realize that you have already in you at this moment everything that Abraham wanted? We'll get that when we get to Hebrews 11. Don't rush me. Again, take your time. Don't rush me. (laughs) Jesus is better than Moses. Now, imagine the shock of this statement to the Hebrew mind. Moses, to the Hebrew, represents everything significant in Judaism. Apart maybe from Father Abraham, Moses represents everything significant in Judaism. He represents the law. The law came through Moses, the Bible says. Right? But grace and truth came through Jesus. You remember John 1, right? Moses represents everything significant in Judaism. So for the writer of Hebrews to say that Christ is worthy of more glory than Moses was, is a jarring statement. Again, he's trying to point us towards the reality that Jesus is what it's all about. He's trying to help these persecuted Jews to not get their eyes off the fact that it really and truly is all about Jesus. They have truly put their faith in the right Messiah. Amen. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Because Moses was a, help me, servant, and Jesus was the son. son. What's greater? The The son, right? Now let me ask you this question. What's the difference between a son and a servant? What's the difference? If one's so much greater than the other, what's the difference between a son and a servant? Yes. Gosh, you guys are smart. So you could say all kinds of things. You know, well, you know, the son is the offspring. You know, he gets, the, he gets you know, the house after the dad dies. Yeah, he has an inheritance. What makes you different as a son? You have an inheritance. The greatest servant in the house still doesn't have access to the inheritance of the least of all the sons. The greatest servant doesn't have access to the inheritance of the least of the sons. I was reading about servants and how oftentimes the servant would be smarter than, it's, than his, his or her master, and they were hired, they were brought into the house to teach the kids. So like you can imagine, like I'm terrible at math. I don't like math by choice, in Jesus' name. I don't like math. But, you know, imagine if I brought a math tutor into the house. They're going to be way smarter about math than I am, right? But they don't get the keys to the car. They don't get the title to the house if I'm not here, right? Claire and Abigail and Sophia do. And Brianna, of course. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound weird. Um, no, the, the inheritance is what separates a son from a servant. And the problem is that a lot of times we miss out on our inheritance by only ever trying to serve God and never relate to him as our father. A son, the value of a son's relationship is found in his connection to his father. A servant grovels before his master. A son embraces his father. There's a mindset shift that we have to have. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your master? Yes, of course. I'm not trying to refute that. What I'm saying is, beyond him being your master, he's also your father. You want me to prove it to you? Go to Romans chapter 8. Oh, don't get me preaching now. Don't get me started. Romans chapter 8. This drives it home. This proves the point perfectly. Romans chapter 8. let's look at verse 14 and we're gonna read down through verse, verse 17 for as many as are led by the spirit are the sons of God for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but what did you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba father a servant doesn't ever get to cry out abba father the best they can do is say master master but you and i we have the right by birth by the new birth in the blood ratified in the blood of christ jesus the new birth gives me and you the right to call god abba father that's sonship not servanthood amen glory to god keep reading The Spirit Himself, verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit proves it to you. The Holy Spirit is there to help remind you all the time and reprove and retell you and over and over and over again bear witness to your spirit that you are in fact a child of God. Oh, but Lord, I missed it today. I fell short of the glory again. I argued with my wife. I kicked the cat. In Jesus' name, I did something terrible, whatever. I stole money from the offering bucket. I don't know, whatever you struggle with, I don't know. But, you know, I, I did something terrible, Lord. I missed it. But the Spirit of God doesn't change his witness. He bears witness with you that you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, verse 17, what does it mean? If you're children, then you're heirs. Heirs of God. God. That sounds like a book title. Heirs of God. That's an intense thought. You are an heir of God. I mean, imagine, let's put it into perspective. Imagine that you were an heir of Bill Gates. right. One of the richest men in the world. Imagine if you were Bill Gates' kid. You'd waiting for dad to kick the bucket. Right? No, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Imagine if you were his child. What implications that serves. You have access to unprecedented wealth that you in 10 lifetimes could never spend. You would have access to it. Guess what? News flash My dad owns the universe my pops owns everything because i get to call him abba father i get to relate to him as dad and father of my life i'm a son and i'm not a servant glory to god and i'm an heir of christ i'm an heir of god and a joint heir with christ jesus do you realize that for all of eternity you and me and jesus get to feast on everything For all of eternity, we get to share the inheritance of everything. But don't wait till heaven to get it. My gosh. Don't wait till heaven to take advantage. Don't be a servant while you're on the earth. I mean, serve God, but don't limit yourself to think like a servant thinks. Why? Jesus is so much better than that. Amen. What's the difference between a son and a servant? servant has no inheritance. No inheritance. Now... Let's look at this from one more perspective and then we'll close up. Go to Luke chapter 15. This is a very familiar passage to us as Christians. Luke chapter 15, one of Jesus' most popular parables. And also, in my opinion, one of the most misunderstood and mistaught parables of all of Jesus' ministry. Amen. How many times have you heard the parable of the lost son at an evangelistic crusade? And I mean, there's some good implications there. I'm not trying to be mean. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Let's read, well, let let me recap the story for you real quick for those who may not know what's in this passage. Beginning in verse 11 and going down through verse 32, Jesus tells the parable, the story of a father who leaves a vast inheritance to his two children. He has two sons. And uh, the one son, the younger son, comes to his father and says, you know what, Dad? I'm ready for my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I'd like my inheritance now, please. Make out the check to yada, yada, yada. And then he proceeds to take his fa- his his portion of the inheritance. And he goes out and begins to squander it all. And he wakes up one day, having spent all that he had, and now he's in a real dire situation. He wakes up amidst the pigs. And here he is in the pig pen. Now you remember, Jesus was a Jew. And if you're a Jew and you touch a pig, guess what you become? Unclean. So this guy's really in a pile. Okay, he's really in a tough spot. I just, you know, think of the context. Think of what would have been going through their minds as they're hearing him talk about this young man in a pig's diet eating corn husks with a pig. Not even the corn, the husk. That's gross. Right. Right? And the Bible says he comes to his senses and he says, Even the servants in my father's house eat better than this. So he tries to go back to the father and reapproach the father as a servant. But the father's not ready to have any of that. Amen. The father's not ready to say, "Yeah, I guess you can come back as a servant." Now, how many of us do this when we sin? How many of us take this approach when we miss it? Lord, if you could find it in your heart to welcome me back into the house, I'll find a way to serve you. How many of us have prayed the I'll never do it again if you get me out of this one prayer? (laughs) Lord, this is the last time I promise I'll find a way to make it better. I'll find a way to serve my way back into your favor. The Father not having none of that, is he? No, what does he say? He says, kill the fatted calf. Get the, listen, listen, Charlie, Charlie. Come here, Charlie. My son just came home. Now he's in a tough spot. He really thinks he's done something wrong. Here's what I want you to do. Go get my ring off my dresser. You know the one that I wear when I wear it in town and I show everybody who I am? Get that one. Bring that one out. Okay, and then, but no, 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 Charlie, come back. here. we are not done yet. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get my best loafers. I want you to get the alligator skins, man, the one I paid a lot of money for. Go get those ones. And then, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. We're not done yet. Just I want you to get my best suit of clothing. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take him out behind the shed and clean him off. And then deck him out in my best robe and in my best shoes and put my authority ring on his finger. And then, no, 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 Charlie, come back, come back. I'm not done yet. Then go get the fattest heifer out of the stall and slaughter it, because tonight we're partying, because my son came home. See, how many times do we try to go back to God as a servant? How many times do we try to grovel our way back into His forgiveness when we forget that His forgiveness never left? Hallelujah. You might have messed up, but you didn't undo your sonship. You might have screwed up big time, but you didn't undo your last name. (laughs) You can't out-undo it, man. You can't out-sin the mercy of God. You can't out- And the Bible says here that he hears the music and the dancing. That's some loud dancing. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, but it was loud. He comes in from the field having heard the music and the dancing. And he says, verse 28, well, actually, oh, 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 oh hold on, I just saw something I never saw before. Look at verse 26. Oh, Jesus, thank you. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He didn't go to the father first. He found another servant to gossip about with. He found another servant. Did you hear about so and so's back in the church again? Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't they fall out, man? Didn't didn't their marriage fall apart? No. Didn't he swindle a bunch of money? Didn't he? No. 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 wasn't that. Didn't that? not everybody? Didn't everybody hear about his big fall? What's he doing back? What's she doing back? He didn't go to the father and talk to him first. He found another servant to gossip with. Carry on. Verse 27, he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Don't you love the heart of the father? Don't you realize that both times the son never makes it in before the father's out to see him? The father sees the, the, the younger son coming from afar and runs out to meet him. And even when the older brother, the disrespectful brother, the religious brother is having a pity party, he still goes out to him and pleads with him. Your father is so merciful. He's so merciful that he will plead with you. Sorry, I'm seeing all these nuggets while we're reading. But he was angry and not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. He's throwing a temper tantrum. So he answered and said, never transgress your commandment at any time and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends but as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots you kill the fatted calf for him watch the father's response man oh dear God he says to him son you are always with me And all that I have is yours. You see, when you and I come to God ticked off, upset, frustrated, trying to to get back to Him, trying to be a servant, trying to just serve our way back into His favor, what is His response? Son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. A servant is defined by their service. A son is defined by his identity. Let me read it one more time. A servant is defined by their service. Everything rises and falls on their performance. But a son is defined by his identity. A servant finds his purpose, finds his identity in his work, in his service. A son finds his identity and his purpose in his father. Why is sonship better than servanthood? Because, as Jesus perfectly demonstrated, sonship comes with an inheritance. Servanthood is endless work and groveling. Does this mean that we don't serve? No, on the contrary, it actually means that you serve more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about it. Jesus is the perfect example of a son. So, what does he do? Wash the disciples' feet. I didn't come here to be served, I came to serve. You want to grow in sonship? Find a way to get lower. <laughs> you, you want to develop in your identity in Christ? Find a way to get humble and make everybody else around you the object of your service. You're here to be served? You're not going to get very far. You're here to be lavished upon? Hey, it's all about me. Why don't you adjust your schedule to fit mine? That's not the way a son talks. That's the way a rebellious son talks. That's the way the older brother talks. Look at me. Look at my service. Look how much I've done. I'm owed. I'm due. Why don't you just bow down and worship me for a while? No, that's not the way a son talks. A son says, I didn't come here to to be served. I came to serve. Let me let me wash your feet. You see, sonship doesn't mean that we don't serve. It means that we serve from a totally different place. We serve from our identity, not because of our identity. We don't serve because our identity is defined by all the service we do. We serve because our identity is so secure in our Father that we have nothing left to do but love people. That's why Paul says in Romans 13, 8, oh, no man anything save to love him. Service does not get diminished. It gets upped. (laughs) The wager gets upped. Amen. Because you got the best servant, the best son living on the inside of you. Because you've been made in the image of the perfect Son. You want to know what sonship looks like? Look at Jesus. Stare at Jesus. This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across. Jesus is the perfect representation of sonship. Let's stare at Him for a while. No, no, you didn't make a decision. You didn't make a better than Moses because says of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy, Holy Spirit, when He comes, he will speak of me, He will reveal me to you. The Holy Spirit delights in showing you Jesus. We get tied up on all kinds of other stuff, man, we get sucked into the servanthood game, where we try to earn our way into the favor of God. It can't be done. Amen. You can't get more favor. You've already got all of it. <laughs> Amen. How, I mean, how much, better, how much better standing could you be in with God? You've already been made the righteousness of God in Christ. doesn't get any better than that. You're already seated with him in heavenly places. How much higher can you go? And that doesn't change just because you made a mistake. It doesn't change just because you sinned. It doesn't change just because you missed it last weekend or last night or ten minutes ago. It doesn't change. Your identity does not change. You're a son. You're an heir and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And part of his job is to reveal Jesus to you and bear witness with your spirit that you're a son. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.